0: here. It's queer. VegCast. Get used to VegCast 114. VegCast. A full menu from first to last. VegCast. Yes, another full menu of vegetarian podcastery coming your way. And this time out, we have what you might call a rather queer edition of VegCast. And that's because we are celebrating and looking at and learning about the Queer Vegan Food Cookbook put together by Sarah E. Brown uh, and whose uh, profits all go to Woodstock Farm Animal Sanctuary. We're going to be talking to her about uh, how that Came about and uh, what's in it, and uh, just enjoying the ambiance of a charming little uh, West Philly cafe, including all of the uh, charming little ambient noises. So that'll be coming up. We also will have a musical selection for you uh, from the band Batik uh this is a kind of a contemplative jazz uh fusion i don't even what am i doing trying to categorize it it's uh, beyond category but uh, i believe you'll enjoy that and we also have a science fact about a way to reduce your fatal heart disease risk by a third. So that's all going to be coming up. I invite you to sit back, relax, crank up that mp3 player as we deliver to you this 114th Veg. VegCast is sponsored by Tofurky, making delicious, innovative, and affordable meat alternatives from non-GMO organic soy since 1980. And we're going to turn now to our interview with Sarah E. Brown. Uh, I have to remember to put that middle initial in there because middle initials turn out to be important uh, in our discussion. And uh, also, well, we're going to get into the whole concept behind the cookbook, but uh, longtime time VegCast listeners will... Uh, remember that we, uh, we've we been longtime fans of Woodstock Farm Animal Sanctuary and also of Carol Adams, and uh, same with Sarah Brown. She brings them together in uh, this explanation of how this got started, and I should mention that uh, trying to get uh, her more audible, I moved the... Uh, the little mp3 recorder right while she was mentioning that so you're going to have to sit through that but from there on it's pretty smooth sailing all right here we go okay right now on vegcast we are pleased to welcome sarah brown the editor of The Queer Vegan Food Cookbook, which is just out. Sarah, welcome to VegCast.
1: Thank you so much for having me, Vance.
0: Thanks for being here. And let's get into, uh, first of all, you're the editor of the the cookbook. What you did was get a whole bunch of people to uh, contribute recipes. And uh, the book has all kinds of wacky, crazy dishes in it from different people. And you are donating the proceeds of this to Woodstock Farm Animal Sanctuary, is that right? That's correct. Okay, how did, what, where did this all, <laughs> how did this come about?
1: Yeah, well, I've always loved Woodstock since I visited uh, for the first time with Carol J. Adams. Um, when I was a senior at Vassar College, uh, we brought Carol to speak and teach a class, and we realized that it was a great opportunity that weekend, since Carol was so generous with her time, to go with us to Woodstock. So this was like an exclusive t- like chance to be around Carol, an amazing vibes of Woodstock and I just fell in love with the sanctuary the first time I went and so I really I've been thinking of over the years you know how I could do something to help Woodstock in a more, more meaningful way and I've had this blog queer vegan food uh, for about a year now and what's been really great feedback is people who say oh I, I totally love the weird cool unique recipes on your blog I have a few too that I don't really post or I don't get as much feedback from but I think they're really great and I I really thought that like this all could come together in this project of you know well-known authors and vegan chefs just really um offering their probably weirdest recipes (laughs) but all of them of course vegan all of them you know really beautiful and you can tell from the cookbook these are just incredible chefs and photos and really just I've been so impressed with like how creative people are So that's how the cookbook came together, and I've, again, been so grateful that so many people have been willing to donate their recipes and also to try it out. People were willing to buy the cookbook, and, you know, we can give all the proceeds to such a great organization.
0: right, great. And so uh, in terms of the the weirdness of the recipes, some of them are really things that I hadn't seen before or considered. Some of them are not as weird as others. Um, So was there, like, a requirement that... (laughs) the the food be queer in the sense of just really you know while unique or was there a requirement that the, the people submitting them be queer or what was well, kind of. How did you try to, yeah. you know, make it work on that theme?
1: Yeah, that's a really excellent question. I've actually gotten a lot of feedback, like, "What is this whole queer thing?" And you know, queer activists up in arms, like, "What are you doing? Like, why are you like appropriating that term?" And for me, the word queer really is broadly defined. It's about, well, for me, it's about um, you know, uniqueness of recipes and sort of moving beyond traditional fake meat, fake cheese, these things that kind of imitate the non-vegan world. In that sense, it's queering the normative food culture in the United States, if you will, although some of our contributors are from other countries, a contributor from Buenos Aires, a contributor from, uh, a couple from Canada, so, um, but at least for me, like... That's one important aspect, um, but also I think that people—and you know, this is a broader discussion—people of all orientations can benefit from a diet that doesn't promote oppression, doesn't uh, promote cruelty, and so I, I sort of use the term queer in that sense too. And sort of a queer vegan uh, lifestyle to me is about one that promotes um, fair treatment of workers, fair treatment obviously of uh, people who are involved in you know the production of food, and also of course not harming animals. It's okay, of utmost importance.
0: Right, so uh, do you see like a uh, a kind of overlap just in general between the so-called queer world? I mean, you said queer activists. Some of them didn't like how you're muddying the term with this, or I'm paraphrasing. But do you see an overlap between that world and the the vegan world in, in terms of how both of them kind of intrinsically challenge this this norm that is kind of invisible and unspoken and that we're not supposed to say, you know, this is just one way that to be and here's, a, you're, you know, there are other ways to be. Here. Oh,
1: definitely. And I, I think you, you said it beautifully, Vance, and I think for me, like coming into my, like, non-normative sexual orientation was really related to coming into veganism. Like, I came out as both at the same time, and um, I actually wrote a little bit about that in Carol Adams' upcoming book, Defiant Daughters, which is going to be uh, released by Lantern Books in March of 2013, and all the proceeds for that are going towards the nonprofit profit Our Hen House, which is really exciting. Great. Yeah, so I think that for me, like, this is something that is a very personal topic. I don't claim to speak for all, you know, queer activists or queer people or, you know, speak for all vegans for that matter, but my project, I think, is just really focused on um, promoting recipes, promoting a lifestyle that's open and inclusive and, uh, you know, works really hard not to um, just sort of reinforce these stereotypes that vegans can eat awesome things. I mean, vegans have such a wide variety of food options beyond soy meat and wheat meat, and not that there's anything wrong with those, um, (laughs) you know, no judgment, and I I certainly think there's a place for it, but I just think it's great to see what people can come up with outside of the box, and uh, (laughs) I'm glad that my cookbooks provided space for that.
0: (laughs) Right. So what is, I mean, you said something interesting, that you came out as queer and vegan at the same time, and um, I'm wondering, do you think that there is for some people kind of a closet that... The, that vegans can be in or that there there is a kind of an imperative that they kind of stay in and not speak out that, that a lot of people have to kind of break through in the, in the same way that they may have to with yeah. sexual orientation
1: yeah definitely I mean I think um, well I think it, that's a great point I think it's also just broader discussions of identity and in terms of how open we are with who like like how we feel, our identity, what our desires are. And our desires um, to eat meat, you know, the desire to eat meat is really, I, a lot of scholars have called it a false desire based on a lot of things that are getting in the way of um, what we really want, which is compassion. And I think that looking at um, kind of when vegans are forced to sort of not speak up or not be um, as represented, I think I think of those as cases of being in a closet. And I, I mean, I'm looking at, like, places where vegan food isn't as available. I think that when vegans do say, I'm here, can you make a vegan option for me at a restaurant, even when it's not a quote-unquote vegan restaurant, is really important. And that is a form of outing ourselves as you know, plant-based eaters who want to make this lifestyle known. And I think what's so great is it's becoming so much more mainstream. Like, for instance, you know, where we're doing this interview, this is not a vegan restaurant, but due to pushback of people on Yelp and various, you know, advocacy forms, they've started incorporating vegan stock into their, you know, other cuisine that veg- right. happens to have a lot of vegetable options and, you know, when people go to weddings and they say, you know, it can be challenging, like, oh, you know, I don't want to make anyone have to go out of their way or it can feel like a nuisance, but I think there is a lot of, you know, respectful room for like what Colleen Patrick Goudreau says, you know, like, uh, gentle activism in that way.
0: Right, okay. Well, so, what, what is your, I mean, you referred to how you came to veganism uh, at, at at the same time, and or through your coming into your sexual identity, what was what was the path that you were on? That uh, what's your your vegan your queer vegan story?
1: Sure. Well, it's great you asked that. I, I definitely would encourage anyone to read Defiant Daughters when it comes out because that's what I wrote about. Great. <laughs> it's all about the sort of evolution of my identity through reading actually the Sexual Politics of Meat by Carol J. Adams. Um, so that sort of evolved for me in looking at how my, like, also just about my activist career, and my, my sort of interest in multiple, like, uh, tackling multiple sources of oppression and looking at interconnectedness, um, there's a project coming out called Connect the Dots, um, and a woman named Ashley Mayer, and there's actually another writer um, who's involved with that, and I think what's so cool about these sort of emerging interconnected activisms that are out there is that people are looking at not just from, like, a like Lauren Ornell, a Food Empowerment Project and Mark Hawthorne a Food Empowerment Project. They don't just look at, you know, where where food comes from, not from animals, but, like, looking at chocolate and seeing this chocolate ethically sourced or looking at, you know, how are workers treated? Are they given fair wages? Like, what are the conditions? And I think looking at food as a whole system, looking at... Um, the production of food as a very complicated topic, and also the cultures we have around um, identity. Uh, these are really rich topics, and obviously we can't cover them in like a short interview, but I just, I've just, i always been fascinated by it, and I think I really got started in thinking about those two topics, sexuality and veganism, at the same time, and that just sort of has stayed with me throughout my life.
0: Right, okay. Uh, that's great, and uh, I just have to say, you keep saying Carol J. Adams, and I, I realize I've <laughs> I've just been saying Carol Adams, and I, have I been oh. disrespectful to not include the that middle initial? I, I'm wondering if I, I should have I should go back and re-edit my previous podcasts where <laughs>
1: well, I
0: just call her Carol I, Adams. I
1: don't want to speak for Carol. I, I'm I definitely don't. But um, I noticed that one of her Facebook pages says Carol J. Adams, and one says Carol Adams. So I don't think you're missing okay. choosing that.
0: I always thought it was like one of those <laughs> Actors Equity kind of things where oh. if somebody had the name you have to like add an initial oh, um,
1: I tend to go by Sarah E. Brown so I was kind of like oh Sarah Brown I yeah. almost didn't recognize that story. okay well sorry see Sarah Sarah I'm screwing up there.
0: right and left here oh no you're doing sorry right. here on Veshcast Sarah E. Brown <laughs> um, <That's laughs> so right. you're in Philadelphia now are you, you you live in University City are you going to yeah.
1: University I'm not going. Now, or are you I'm not going done, to Penn. Or? I graduated from Vassar College and okay. Um I'm originally from this area. I moved around a bunch. I've lived in the Bay Area. Um, it's actually where I first met Lauren Ornellas because I was interning at the Center for Environmental Health, and Lauren was doing work there for another nonprofit of hers. She's like the busiest woman alive, um, and so that was a really cool connection a few years ago. i lived in L.A. I worked for a vegan retreat center in Arizona. For two years. So I've been, I've been really lucky to kind of have that exposure to being an all vegan work environment. It's really. Cool.
0: So what brought you to Philadelphia then?
1: I originally came back to do a summer program at Penn. And now I'm working, uh, we don't know how much we get, get into, but I'm working, you know, here actually remotely for a business in Los Angeles. So I'm sort of like, on the internet and all over and we sort of live in this global world now it's amazing it's great right. to actually meet you in person I don't think I've ever done an interview like this like face okay, to face Okay, used Skype so it's right. really a thrill
0: well I'm old school you. we're doing it on the I River from the same I-River I River I bought when I started VegCast okay. I just want to say you've been you've lived in a bunch of different places and you know as somebody that uh, writes about Philadelphia and in Philadelphia you know I've uh, been kind of a booster for vegan food in Philadelphia and for Philadelphia as a vegan hotspot. and lately some other people are agreeing with me. I just wondered if you had any perspective on how Philadelphia stacks up, what the pluses and minuses are for vegans
1: wow. here. Well, that's a great question. I'm actually really thrilled to talk about it because I grew up here. Um, I've lived here since 1907, which is when I was born, okay. so a little bit shorter than you. But, um, I, you know, there's a dearth of vegan options back then. You can't, you know, can't compare it to what it is now. There's so many great places that have cropped up, even just over the past couple of years. I mean, look, Veg and, you know, Hip City Veg and Vegan Tree, and you know, a few have come and gone. Unfortunately, like not every place has stayed up in business. I really loved the Basic Four at Reading Terminal. It was sad to see that go. Yeah. Things, you know, but things are really, I think, blossoming. And I think what's so great is there's this need for vegan food in Philly that. I, I think a lot of people underestimated. And what's really cool is, you know, Nicole Marquis of Hipsity Veg, I think she's really been a pioneer in sort of seeing that. And again, with, you know, Rich and Kate Jacoby, just like Rich Landau and Kate Jacoby, like seeing that a gourmet vegan market could really thrive here and that people who are not vegan would really love this, like, seriously plant-based. I and mean, I consider that just completely phenomenal and I know you've eaten there I've heard if you don't mind yeah, well, so I've, I've enjoyed it there too it's so incredible so I, I think you know compared to other cities I mean the size of Philly is smaller than places like you know LA has tons more restaurants but it's also larger and I mean I, I lived in Madrid for a semester and I was you know sort of had to get by on gazpacho yeah. <laughs> there are a couple of vegan places I really liked uh, but I think you know just coming home to Philly and seeing what's developing and I think what's going to continue to develop um, wouldn't you agree? I mean, it's just it has been really inspiring. Now, you said you've been a booster for it. Like, do you think that it's been something that's been growing over the past couple of years, or do you feel like it's been a steady trend, or has there been, like, an explosion in your mind? It seems like
0: it's – I don't know if it's uh, uh, an explosion, but it does seem like it's been accelerating uh from my perspective, and again, I have probably a tunnel vision on this, but it seems like ever since my column V for Veg started, oh, okay. that it's uh, there's just been it's obviously you know a cause and effect relationship that once the Daily News had a vegan column, it just made all this stuff start blossoming. No, um, I <laughs> I have uh, I have noticed it increasing, but it's it's hard for me to kind of look outside. And, you know, jump outside the system or look at it from uh, somewhere outside my own viewpoint because it seems to me that when I, I actually turned vegetarian the year I moved to Philadelphia, which was a kind of a perverse thing to do since I never did try a cheesesteak before I went vegetarian. And so, uh, you know, I've been vegetarian since I got here. And then when I uh, went vegan around 2000, it seemed to me that the world... Just the marketplace right then was just stepping up to meet what I needed to get and needed to have and needed to find, and it seems like it's continued to to do that, but that's why I ask people like you that have a little more worldly perspective... Because I don't know how much of it is just my my crazy viewpoint, aren't they?
1: Yeah. Well, that's thank you. That's interesting to hear. I think one thing that I'm m- more interested in seeing grow is more of a healthy culture in Philadelphia too. Like I think I've always seen vegan cheesesteak options, but like Ryan Crown's Juice Club recently opened. Uh, Ryan's an incredible guy, and he's got kind of the West Coast LA juicing mentality of like he's like a really hardcore guy. He like bicycles juices to people every morning, and he's got his shop um, 15th and Arch. And I think, like, having lived in L.A. and seeing how many people there are, you know, it's a very health-oriented culture. It's, you know, it's a very aesthetically-oriented culture, too, but I think there is a, a bigger focus on, like, raw foods and um, maybe, like, a more, more sort of... Uh, Helpful vegan cuisine, and I think Philly's ha- had their sort of richness, rich vegan cuisine down, and I'd like to see it continue to expand and kind of the variety of vegan foods option are offered. And I think as people start realizing that plant food is more than just veggie burgers, like you can get a groovy at Hip City Veg now, which is right. uh, apparently they've sold hundreds of thousands of them, which is so cool to me. Yeah. So I, yeah, I'm thrilled. I'm excited. That's
0: great. <laughs> well, so and and looking forward. I mean, you you have obviously a vision for how you would like to see Philadelphia evolve you uh... you wanted to do something for Woodstock and you did this cookbook do you have plans now to to expand the Sarah E. Brown empire and uh... you know do you have other things in the works that we should be watching for?
1: Well first of all Vance, I think we should create an empire together. Okay. Uh, v for Vance, S for Sarah Veg. Uh, not, <laughs> we'll have to work on that. But um... but yeah I, I'm working on a book right now um, which uh, is untitled as of yet, but I'm sort of exploring more the connections between uh, being queer and being vegan and queer veganism, and um, so those topics. And hopefully that'll come out at some point uh, over the next year or two. And yeah, I just want to keep seeing Philly grow and keep working on, you know, collaborating with people. And I'm open to future collaborations. So, right?
0: Yeah. Okay. <laughs> Well, and we should let uh, people know Queer Vegan Food Cookbook is uh, available as a PDF at the time that we're recording. It may actually be available sometime in the future in, uh, in hard copy. But for now, if people are interested, they should go to QueerVeganFood.com. And, I mean, you take it from there. I, I don't want to speak to you.
1: That's exactly where to go?
0: They can buy it there, and all of the proceeds go to Woodstock?
1: Uh,
0: 100%. 100% of the proceeds. Okay. Well, that's great. We're about out of time. Uh, is there, do you have any words of wisdom that uh, we can leave uh, our VegCast listeners with?
1: Oh, no. I mean, just thank you so much for, you know, doing what you're doing, Vance. I so really appreciate it.
0: Okay.
2: Uh,
1: yeah. I'd say if you haven't tried green juice, try green juice.
0: Okay, see, there you go. It's
1: pretty, I mean, I don't mean really like more picky quotes here, but just try green juice, it's good, it'll do good things.
0: Do you have a quick, uh, oh. you know, recipe or, or like sure. what people should... Yeah, we, have it, we can throw that in there. and <laughs> sure. Like well, value-added.
1: Well, first of all, if you have a juicer, that's great. And if you don't, I have a recipe or instructions yeah. on my blog. You can sort of search there to make a juice in a blender and strain it using a nut milk bag, which is a nice way if you don't have a juicer currently. Um, but I'd say a good base is like cucumber, celery. Maybe add some apple or pear if you're interested. Um, tend to be like a three to one ratio of you know um, greens and fruits. Um, so like three greens to one fruity thing. And uh yeah, I toss in your favorite greens, you know, anything you can get at the farmers market, you know, I think spinach is in season right now. You can grab, you know, pretty much kale or anything like that and toss it in. I just love green juice so <laughs> Right? Yeah. Okay.
0: Well, that's now we'll have uh, people just getting healthier by listening to VegCast. So that's we're adding a new dimension to that. Thanks to you, so uh-huh. I appreciate that, and appreciate you joining me for this interview. And uh, we'll uh, we'll watch the progress. And uh, certainly everybody should check out the Queer Vegan Food Cookbook at queerveganfood.com. And Sarah E. Brown, thanks for joining me on VegCon.
1: Thanks so much, Vance.
2: Wie mm-hmm. Oh, mm-hmm.
0: is from Batik's album Voodoo and Batik A jazz world fusion ensemble Featuring Barry Hartglass And four other guys I mentioned Barry Because he's the one that sent me The MP3 to play And he is the vegan in the group As you remember uh, Our requirement for play on VegCast Is that one of the members of the band Has to be vegetarian or vegan And uh, Barry is actually the brother Of Karen Hartglass uh, Who interviewed me for her show Which you will hear in April We'll have a link to that Uh, And you can actually hear the genesis of that as she says she has a brother who makes music I say send that along and uh, so we got to hear some batik you can find out more about them what they're doing and uh, what they're all about at batikjazz.com and of course that link will be in our show notes and in the meantime we here at VegCast are going to turn our attention to the science Our science fact for VegCast 114, Veggie Diet Cuts Chance of Fatal Heart Disease by a Third. And the word third is in capitals because this write-up is from the Daily Mirror, uh, which does like to kind of emphasize things uh, sometimes, but it is a report on an actual peer-reviewed study, and the details are as follows. Being vegetarian cuts your risk of fatal heart disease by a third, a study of 45,000 Brits suggests. Scientists looked at health records focusing on people from 50 to 70. They saw the chances of dying or being seriously ill with cardiac disease were 6.8% for meat eaters and 4. 0.6 for the rest. Of the 45,000 people, there were 1,066 hospital admissions and 169 deaths attributable to heart disease. Only 34% of those were vegetarian, and they were 32% less likely to be included in the problem figures. This was after adjusting for factors such as age, gender, exercise, smoking, boozing, education, and social class. Oxford University's Professor Tom Key, joint author of the wide-ranging study, said the results clearly show that the risk of heart disease in vegetarians is about a third lower than in comparable non-vegetarians. Experts reckon the main reason for the difference is the effect of a low-fat vegetarian diet on cholesterol and blood pressure. Vegetarians also tended to be slimmer and less prone to developing diabetes. The study published in the American Journal of Clinical Nutrition is the UK's largest to look at the impact of vegetarianism on heart Disease. And of course, that is uh, just looking at vegetarians. They apparently did not break out the uh, vegan cohort uh, within that population. Uh, so, we will wait to see what numbers we come up with uh, if that happens, but this is pretty clear. And as far as uh, dietary and health studies go, uh, 32%, a difference of 32%, is a huge difference. A lot of times, uh, you know, you'll get headlines for things that make a difference of uh, 9%, or 11%, or 12%, uh, but this is a pretty large difference which you would think would make this front-page news. And it was pretty close to that in the Daily Mirror. But again, like I say... They like to kind of zig where others are zagging. And uh, speaking of the zagging, a local uh, newspaper conglomerate that shall remain unmentioned, just published two weeks after this news came out, a uh, a whole section about heart health and things that you can do about uh, your heart and uh, making it healthier and so forth. And you might have thought this would uh, get a lot of play, but this study was never mentioned uh, even though another study having to do with air pollution and health, which came out the day before the section uh, appeared, was covered in a full-page article on uh, the dangers of air pollution to heart health, which I should just underscore here. Uh, Air pollution pretty much its impact on your health is a function of where you live, which is a huge factor in one's life, Uh, whether you live in a city, whether you live outside a city, uh, what region of the country, and so forth. Uh, It's not something that you can just change on a moment's notice, whereas what you eat for your next meal is something that you can change on a moment's notice, and it would be great if uh, the mainstream media were doing a better job of conveying uh, some of these uh, actual facts that are coming out about what people can do uh, for their health of their heart and other parts of their body. And until they do get on that stick, I guess you're just going to have to find them out right here at the Science Fact. Okay, VegCast 114 is just about done. Uh, And I will take this opportunity to assure you that VegCast 115 will be coming out in March uh, we did not get VegCast 114 out in January, but it is coming out in February. I've had uh, some going back and forth on different audio and computer combinations. And if you wondered why the sound of my voice on this VegCast is kind of queer, why it's all to serve the queer theme. No, it's actually uh, just that I'm using a condenser microphone uh, because I did not have access to the setup That I usually do, but I'll have that back next time, and just wanted to get this one out, and it is now out, and VegCast is out, I'm out, we're all now getting out of here.
2: VegCast!
0: that is VegCast 114. I want to thank our sponsor, Tofurkey, making delicious, innovative, and affordable meat alternatives from non-GMO organic soybeans since 1980. I want to also thank Sarah E. Brown for talking with us about the Queer Vegan Food Cookbook. And thanks to Barry Hartglass for sending us uh, voodoo and giving me permission to play that on VegCast. And to Karen Hartglass for having me on her show and uh, pointing me toward batik we will be back in march as i say and until that point please get out there and live like you mean it